IZEA Worldwide, Inc., the premier provider of influencer marketing technology, data, and services for leading brands, has appointed MSU Broad College of Business alumnus Ryan Schramm as the company's president and chief operating officer. Ryan, congratulations on, on all your success, and it's great to finally welcome you to MSU today. Thanks for having me, Russ. I'm really pleased to be here, and go green. Go white. And uh, Ryan's a graduate of the Eli Broad College of Business. We met back around the turn of the century when we were both doing our thing at MSU Student Radio, The Impact. But Ryan, give us a snapshot of your career from MSU to president and CEO of Isaiah. Well, I had the really fortunate opportunity looking back to go to undergrad during what is now considered Web 1.0, Russ, right? So it was that bridge when we all took our AOL dial-up uh, internet experience and brought it to broadband. And actually, that's one of the reasons I chose to live at Holden Hall in South Campus was that at that time, it was, I think, the first or second residence hall on campus to get wired Ethernet high-speed internet. And by high speed, I think it was at one or two megabytes at the time. But that, I said, that, that was incredible at the time. And so that was key in me choosing my location. It also happened to be the home of impact in the basement downstairs of, of Holden Hall. So I, I chose very, very strategically when I came on campus. But um, I actually spent my experience in East Lansing um, working full time. I had the opportunity. I, I grew up in a in a media family, as you know, and uh, a lot of my dad's contemporaries who ran radio and TV stations were looking for people to build them these newfangled web pages, right? And so I had taught myself in high school very basic HTML and JavaScript and was fortunate to have this confluence of uh, I had high-speed internet where I lived and worked. Uh, I was able to do that remotely. So way before this COVID economy, when we're all at home, I was doing it remotely. And I, I grew up in an industry that I loved, but I realized that I wasn't going to be the person to be behind the mic like my dad used to be when he was growing up in the business and um, that I could actually forge a new path by really embracing uh, my history and marrying it with this future opportunity. So um, I started working for what was then uh, AMFM Inc. Very quickly through uh, FCC deregulation, it became Clear Channel, which is today known as iHeartRadio, and uh, went from designing one or two station websites to overseeing an entire portfolio uh, by the time I graduated in 2002. And so I had a, a really incredible uh, foot in the door uh, to now set myself up for what became Web 2.0, which was these more interactive experiences that, you know, certainly the rise of social media transformed all of that. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to take that experience from iHeart and, and transform it to CBS and Westwood One and really gain sales and marketing chops at the national level, um, then parlayed that into uh, joining a Detroit-based firm that at the time was called ePrize uh, to help transform the world of loyalty programs and engagement promotion. So again, this was around when smartphones were coming online and the idea of having to be stuck behind a laptop or a desktop computer, that was being thrown out. And so to be able to have these brand relationships with consumers 
that were on the go and harness all those tools just fascinated me and, and really stoked my curiosity. So I built a incredible seven and a half year run at, uh, at ePrize, which became Hello World and now is owned by Dentsu, uh, a Japanese advertising conglomerate. Um, and that's where uh, at, at ePrize Hello World, I met Ted Murphy from Isaiah. And uh, Ted actually was a, a partner of ours. Uh, he was talking about this very uh, early stuff, social media endorsements. So there wasn't a name for it yet. It wasn't called influencer marketing back then. And, uh, and we became fast friends. And I was in Central Florida where Isaiah is based quite a bit for work. Uh, we had a uh, business at ePrize at uh, Darden Restaurants, the conglomerate that owns things from Olive Garden to Capitol Grill. We worked with Universal Orlando Resort. And so Ted and I, would grab breakfasts or beers, whenever we could fit it in, in between my client obligations. And he would tell me these stories that he had in his head. He had he'd run very successful uh, ad businesses in the Southeast. And um, he had this idea that at the time there was this newfangled social network called MySpace. And I'll never forget the breakfast where he said to me, I, I believe there's gonna be a day, Ryan, when advertisers will pay people to create content on their MySpace walls and have them tell their own individual story. It won't be a banner ad. It, it won't be the same story on everyone's wall. It'll be you know, this really authentic, transformative thing. And that really stuck with me. And so long before uh, I ever was an employee of the firm, my wife and I actually cut checks. We became investors in Isaiah. And uh, one day uh, in the spring of 2011, uh, Ted called me up and uh, he said, hey, um, I'm, gonna buy, uh, I'm gonna buy you a flight to come down to Orlando this weekend. What are you doing? <laughs> and then so uh, I guess I'm coming to Orlando. He's like, we, we, <laughs> he's like, we've talked about working together more closely. Uh, like this is, this is it, we, ha we have to do this, like hear me out. So I got on this flight and I pit in my stomach. I wasn't looking for a new job. I was happy as a clam doing what I was doing. And I really thought that I was going to be taking a flight to tell one of my close friends no a bunch of times over and over again uncomfortably. But uh, Ted had set us up at the, at the JW Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, which has a very unique feature in that its backyard has this massive uh, elaborate lazy river, you know, waterfalls and, and, and big lush palm trees. And so I, I get to the hotel and I'm thinking that we're going to have a meeting in a meeting room or in the lobby or somewhere as talk is like, Hey, throw on a suit. Let's just sit in the lazy river and let's just talk. So the real story is how, how I came to be at Isaiah is we said that that lazy river for darn near the entire day, Russ. And now, you know, me, I, my skin tone is not compatible with the central Florida sun. So you only can imagine the layers of SPF I had on to be able to endure that, the size of floppy hat that was required to make that happen. But the bottom line was we, we sat in this lazy river and we talked about what today in 2021, we would call the creator economy. We talked about this mass opportunity for democratization of storytelling, of advertising messaging, how the, the, the proliferation of social networks would change all of this, how the, the inefficiency of traditional advertising and marketing could play a role into the benefit of this company. And so, um, 
you know, I, I, I got out of the lazy river. I, I went back up to my hotel room. I called my wife and I said, I know that I, I told you that I was coming down here to say no a bunch of times, but I think I'm saying yes. And so in, in, in the fall of 2011, I was named the firm's first ever chief marketing officer. And that's brought me to where I am today. And it's been an amazing nine-year run. Catching up with MSU alumnus and Isaiah Worldwide President and Chief Operating Officer Ryan Schramm in this Spartan profile on MSU Today. A lot more on Ryan's company, IZEA.com. Isaiah.com. And I'm going to read this right off the uh, website, Ryan, that Isaiah created the modern influencer marketing industry in 2006 when they launched the first technology platform to pay bloggers to create content for brands. Since then, they've grown from a guy with an idea to a NASDAQ-traded company serving the world's top marketers and creators. So first, sort of define influencer marketing and kind of give us the you know, the history, the origin, the evolution of this field, you know? Sure. I, I think if you really go way far back, the origins that I use, I draw from my background growing up in broadcasting. You know, the most valuable inventory is when a personality opens a mic in a stop set, you know, breaks the norm from the recorded commercials and talks to you about a local dealership or their favorite restaurant or something they've seen or done with their family. That is a paid endorsement deal. And in radio, the, the combination of that storytelling and the theater of the mind makes it the most single valuable inventory in the entire arsenal of what those stations sell to advertisers. So if you think about modern influencer marketing, it's the same idea. But instead of having one morning show personality doing it, it can be hundreds or thousands of different individuals from all walks of life all shapes and sizes of follower base across all multitudes of social platforms, but the basics are the same. They're being compensated in cash, product, or both by brands to create that content. That content can be written word on a blog. It can be video on YouTube or Twitch. It can be an Instagram story. It can be all those things. Um, but the idea is what's happening from an outcomes perspective is incredible amounts of reach and engagement and authenticity that transforms uh, what would normally be a one-to-many marketing message that a brand would traditionally do uh, to a many-to-many -many perspective in modern influencer marketing. Well, wow. so now specifically then, what does Isaiah do in this influencer marketing world? So fundamentally what we are is a marketing technology company and we provide software and professional services that enable those brands to collaborate with influencers. So on the services side, we may go to a Fortune 100 brand like Warner Media and help them uh, hire, or I should say, identify which types of influencers might be a great fit, uh, define the investment strategy, ultimately hire those influencers and execute programs for, say, the launch of HBO Max. Um, and we can do that at incredible scale. And that is actually fueled by software we built originally for ourselves. So we are not a traditional agency model at Isaiah. It is, it is flat rate, it is not billed hourly. So you know what you're doing up front. It, it is delivered by our incredible professional services team. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
the onus is on us to be able to be uh, an efficient organization to execute those programs within budget. So along the way, we realized that automating portions of that workflow would be central to be able to accomplish that mission. So we built that software for ourselves. And about six or seven years ago, we started realizing, gosh, for customers of ours that do so much influencer marketing, they may actually want to form their own in-house team to do it. And instead of losing that customer, what if we gave them the keys to the kingdom? What if we sold them the very software that we were using along with all of their historical data from all the past campaigns and said, here you go, Mr. or Mrs. Brand, go ahead and use our software. And so we, we now do that as an entire business. So whether uh, brands or large uh, PR agencies like Edelman uh, want to do that for themselves, they can with our software. We call that Isia X Unity Suite. Or if they don't want to, they can work with our professional services group who will use that very same software to achieve the same. So Ryan, what are, this is a fast changing world, I'm sure. What are kind of some trends now and what are you looking at? As they say, Wayne Gretzky wanted to look where the puck was going, not where it is. What's ahead for Isaiah? I think what's ahead for us is, is really two or three key things uh, top of mind. The first, uh, which is, is so special, um, is the continued advancement of diversity and inclusion in the work that we're doing. Um, and it's not only uh, people of color, it's really embracing the entire spectrum of diversity and bringing more equality to the influencer marketing space. Because very fairly, the industry, it's a bad rap for, frankly, young white girls making duck faces on Instagram is kind of what people think influencer marketing is. But the very best influencer marketing is a broad range of voices and perspectives uh, across a, a complex matrix of societal um, norms and unnorms. Um, and we've seen over the last several years, uh, not only the recognition from our brand partners that this was so critical, but we also see it where the rubber hits the road, which is the average cost per post, meaning what someone's being paid for that sponsored endorsement, increasing in key sectors, you know, people of color. In fact, uh, African-American females earned more than all other race types here in 2021, which is the first time it's ever happened before on average. So I like to believe that we're starting to see the evidence well that while we have a long ways to go, the industry is trying to really understand what does inclusivity look like and, and what is, how do you make that part of the fiber of what makes this industry great? And Ryan, I'd love to hear what you think about even just the remote workplace of the future. As we talked off the air the other day, you said you went from two to three airplane flights a week to nothing for almost a year now. How do you see the whole remote workplace and and just work in general looking down. I know that's a huge... Just Gosh, you know, the, the elastic workplace is just, it, it's, it's, it's been incredible. We, we had at one point seven physical office locations throughout North America, Russ, at Isaiah. And um, to that point, it, it caused me to be on an airplane a lot to either visit our team members in those offices or the clients that we placed, you know, those offices nearby. And, you know, when March 12th happened... Uh, meaning that what I call the, the great grounding for me, I, I stepped off of a flight from Orlando back to Detroit 
And uh, you know, the, the governor of the state of Michigan uh, closed schools the next day, and and the world as we know it, you know, went into this uh, COVID era. Um, we didn't really know what was going to happen. We knew that as a company, we had always been cloud first in terms of our infrastructure. We had joked that our headquarters facility could unfortunately burn to the ground, and Isia would still be able to function because there was no physical you know, infrastructure, no servers, no anything. It would just be the stuff out in the cloud. So the, the, the technology switch that some companies struggled with early on, thankfully, we never had. In fact, the biggest struggle we had was trying to figure out how do we get furniture from our office to the homes of our staff safely if they wanted a more comfortable chair or a standing desk to be able to do this duration. But what we found along the way is that there's really three camps, three psyches of people um, that as they look at the world ahead and we, and we hope that immunizations continue to ramp up, what will happen on the other side of all of this? It's taught us overall that, that you can have an incredibly productive workforce, but that the quality and frequency of communication at all levels of the company has never been more important. And making sure that you don't get caught in uh, you know, becoming a prisoner to the tools as opposed to using the tools as a force multiplier is, is part and parcel to that. You know, we run Slack at Isaiah and it, it, it can be a gift, but it also can be something that is tremendously overwhelming when not harnessed the right way. And so as an executive leader, um, one of our big lessons was helping people understand what was going on making sure that it was inside the boundaries of the workday because you know, there's, there's so much sensitivity and, and reasonably so that when you invite an employer into your home and that is your workspace, there can be a very much an invasion of, of, of the balance between what your work life is and your non-work life is. And I think you kind of marry that with the fact that in a, in a time of a pandemic, people may not be able to go anywhere. <laughs> So then they sort of feel like, well, I'm here. I might as well keep working. Well, the next thing you know, that person's burnt out and also, you know, you know, feels uh, very much that the company took advantage of their generosity. So we've tried to put all those things in balance. And, you know, as we look to the future, we think it's going to really land in three camps. And this is what we've been calling the elastic workplace, that we're going to be virtual first, but not virtual only, because camp number one are people who are itching and clawing to get back to the normalcy of office life. It might be people who maybe live by themselves or relocated for a job at Isaiah into a market and their, their friends, frankly, at work became part of their family um, because that's who was local to them. And um, you know, they, they really want that structure back in their lives once it's safe to do so. The second camp uh, are people who say, you know what? An office sounds great. You know, I may I may live in a high rise in Toronto and not have the office space that I want to have, or both my spouse and I are at home and we have kids and it's just noisy. I can't concentrate. But I don't want to be in the office five days a week. I kind of want to be there when I want to be there. Um, and so, being able to accommodate that from a facilities perspective is something we've spent a lot of time thinking about what that looks and feels like. And then a third camp are, are people who um, really have, have tasted the benefit of being virtual only right now. And that's the way that they actually prefer living their life. And it's not just, you know, what you'd assume, you know, some people think, oh, it's the folks who are 
antisocial. They don't want to be around people. It's it, it's not that at all. It's sometimes they want to be closer to their family, and they may have been they may have been raised in Kansas, not Florida or California or New York, and they can still be incredibly valuable contributors. But the what the company owes them is not just the tools and the infrastructure to allow that collaboration to happen, but I think the bigger cultural uh, norm of saying. We, when we're bringing people together, we're bringing them together physically and virtually as the table stakes to operate in your business, not the ideal vision of what it could be. Yeah, well, it'll be very interesting, Ryan, to watch how this all unfolds over the coming years. Catching up with MSU alumnus and ISEA Worldwide President and Chief Operating Officer Ryan Schramm in this Spartan profile on MSU Today. A lot more on Ryan's company, IZEA.com. Isaiah.com. I know we could have a conference on this, but obviously a lot of what you do, the social media are involved. Sometimes I think we'd be better off if it had never been invented. It can be so wonderful and such a cesspool at the same time, but just again, social media, where do you see it going and can it get a little better? <laughs> it, it can. And, you know, I, I think that the, the challenge we're having right now uh, post-election, uh, you know, sort of in this COVID economy, is the fact that we have a lot of people who have a lot of time on their hands and are, are very apt to you know, be behind those keyboards or, or, or thumb through on their phone uh, and say things or do things that they wouldn't ordinarily either have the time to do, the thought to do, or both. And so the, the platforms are really trying to figure out what is their role in all of this without limiting free speech, uh, but also at the same time not being a vector for promoting hate. Um, and you know the good news is we're talking about some of the most valuable, well-resourced organizations on the face of this earth uh, with some of the smartest people uh, in our space. And I think that there will be a path forward to doing that. Will it make everyone happy? Of course not, but not everyone's happy now. So um, that is going to be something that I think here in 2021 and beyond is going to be top of mind on that platform side. Secondarily, I think that when you think about from the consumer standpoint, what does this all mean? The industry right now is very, very fragmented, right? You have all of these platforms. In fact, some would argue maybe too many platforms, uh, depending on your worldview. And I don't think the answer to that is, you know, having a company like Facebook get even bigger. And I think that the federal governments of multiple uh, nations would agree with that in terms of their way of looking at them today from an antitrust perspective, perhaps. But I, I do think there's going to also be a great reckoning of, you know, which of these platforms can really survive um, and, and operate uh, profitably as, as a company uh, versus those that are more of a flash in the pan. Uh, so that it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in the years ahead. And then I, I think lastly, what the last 12 months or so have taught us as a society of human beings on this planet is that... Um, gosh, there is some good in all of this. There's the connective fiber that we've had while being so lonely and being by ourselves at home that at least for myself has been very good to my mental health, um, to be able to still talk to people and interact with them like you and I are doing you know, over Zoom right now and recording this podcast. Um, I wouldn't have the chance to be able to see you or talk to you in real time if it weren't for these types of tools. And 
for that, I'm grateful. I, I think about uh, even Christmas Day in our family, uh, I ended up buying uh, Facebook portal TV devices for members of our family that couldn't safely travel to Michigan uh, for the holidays. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a little tiny webcam that sits on top of your TV in your family room or living room. And it allows for multi-party video chat like you'd have with a Zoom on the enterprise end, but for everyday people on the, on the consumer end. And it was wonderful to see my nephews in Nevada in real time and have a little AI camera following them around as they were opening their gifts and not having the weird interactions of a you know, bad Skype experience for five or 10 years ago, it, it, it made it the next best thing. It wasn't the same, but it was the next best thing to being there. Um, and I, I, I thought to myself after that day of like, how lucky are we to, while we're not, while we're dealing with a, a global pandemic, to be able to at least have these tools where uh, people like my in-laws who are, are missing uh, their daughters can still, you know, be together in a way that is uh, better than it would have been a few years ago. What's your advice for these youngsters sitting in the road college like you did a few years ago who think they want to do some of this influencer marketing stuff or just just in general the workplace we're entering what what's your advice to the Spartans coming out these days I think that the, what we've seen uh, from a new entrant to the workplace perspective in recent years is a real cognizance from folks earlier in their in their career path that they need to be humble but hungry um, and those that really succeed the best uh, don't form a sense of entitlement. They realize that there's tremendous equity in being able to be self-starters and to have the grit of getting through things that it's okay not to know early on in a career. And I think that Spartans are really well equipped for this. You know, when I, when I, when I see students around East Lansing, maybe it's because we're from the upper Midwest um, maybe it's just because of, of the type of people our school draws. Um, it tends to be people who are a little bit more entrepreneurial in nature, a little bit more focused on the substance versus the sizzle. And ultimately, in an industry like mine, where there's, there's plenty of frothiness <laughs> and plenty of shiny coins going on, um, at the end of the day, that the types of young professionals that we're looking for are those who can really separate the wheat from the chaff and say, yeah, great, our, our, our business is elevated by some of those frothiness types of things, but it doesn't change the fact that we need individuals who can take a look at what we're doing, figure out how to continue to transform it and continuously improve upon it, and can do so knowing that they're working in a space that never has had a playbook. So it's not that we don't want to give you one, it's that if we were going to, we'd have to rewrite it every day anyways. So being able to live in that uncertainty is, is critically important. I also think that from a pure educational perspective, uh, specific to advertising and marketing, it's important to realize how these two you know, historically very separate things have collided together at light speed over the last decade or so. And, and the world works in a very integrated capacity right now. There is not something that's just this nice clean silo of, oh, I'm gonna walk into you know, this department's office anymore. You, you walk into some of the largest companies in, that, that do consumer marketing like P&G, and all you're hearing from those chief marketing officers is that they want 
integrated marketing talent that understands what the media world looks like, what the creative world looks like, how do you measure all of it from a business intelligence perspective. And it requires a worldview where you have to become uh, not a generalist, but uh, actually someone who understands how matrix those things are and why they matter together in total. Well, now take me back to when you were coming out of high school. Why was MSU then the place for you and how did it help prepare you for where you are? Well, I, I grew up in a Spartan family, not only my parents, but coming from a large family, many of my aunts and uncles were Spartans and even some of my great aunts and uncles uh, you know, dating back to the 20s and 30s spent time in East Lansing. So I would say that first and foremost, uh, it felt like home to me. I, I never had any pressure from my parents to end up uh, at Michigan State, but you know, certainly being there uh, for uh, football and, and basketball games and other alumni functions uh, gave it a sense of home for me. I think it also became very apparent as I was starting to compare it to other schools when it came time that um, it had a, a business program that was rising in the ranks nationally and was really well acclaimed in the types of areas that I was starting to think about as a, pot a potential young professional. And um, you know, that was married with the fact that the Communication Arts and Sciences School is one of the best in the entire country on top of it. So when I was thinking about, gosh, it, it, could there be a career that marries uh, some of those communication things that I'm so passionate about and that I was raised in, with more foundational business in a school that is on the rise, it became very clear to me that I actually was staring down the barrel of, of the best option being the one that also happened to feel the most like home. Well, I've been talking with MSU Broad College of Business alumnus Brian Schramm and recently appointed president and chief operating officer of Isaiah Worldwide, Inc., IZEA.com. Ryan, so kind of leave us with a couple of takeaways on this whole influencer marketing thing and where it's all headed. I think we're headed in a couple of different directions, Russ. I think that the, the globalization continues to be a, a major trend. Uh, as you have Fortune 1000 business leaders who want to be able to uh, take their campaigns uh, out of one section of the world and, and bring them to others. Um, there is going to continue to need to be um, a, a real focus on how does that storytelling evolve on a country-to-country -country basis, um, and and working together with uh, with you know those different brand leaders in different corners of the world is something that we think is going to be a real trend in the in the years ahead. Um, secondarily, there's also this idea of how do you continue to get as much utility. Uh, and measurement out of influencer marketing as, as best possible. We, we feel like the reusability of what we're doing uh, can be tremendously powerful, uh, even beyond the ways that we've conventionally measured it. So while influencer marketing can provoke uh, engagement and certainly impression-based media outcomes, we're also seeing more modern marketers start to utilize it for things that may not necessarily have been uh, conventional in the past. So taking really great Instagram video and repurposing it because you have the rights to it for pre-roll um, across digital outlets or digital platforms. Uh, by taking uh, uh, photo assets from a campaign that may be on a blog 
and repurposing them to retail activations. There's a, a, just a, a plethora of ways to get more and more utility out of those investments that we think will continue to push the industry forward and, and really uh, continue to elevate the promise of what influencer marketing can be. Well, Ryan, congratulations on all your success. Thanks for sharing some of your insights with me today. It's just been great catching up. Thanks for having me, Russ. I'm so glad to have been here. That's Ryan Schramm. I'm Russ White, and this is MSU Today.